Welcome to Talking Work, the employment law podcast by Use Laboris. In each episode, we invite a different guest to discuss what's happening in the world of work. If you're an HR professional of any kind, this podcast is for you. Joining me today is Alex Milner-Smith to talk to us about data privacy in the time of COVID-19. Alex is a partner in our member firm for the UK, Lewis Silkin, and he specialises in data privacy. So hello, Alex. Hello there, Deborah. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Welcome to Talking Work. Um, Now, as we know, a lot of countries are gradually getting back to work now in many regions of the world. So we just thought it would be good if today we could focus on what privacy issues the return to work is throwing up. So could you, Alex, tell us something about that? And I just want to say thank you very much uh, for having me to talk about this topic, which we at Lewis Silkin and many other members of the Alliance are advising on every day. We always hope not to be, but as the pandemic continues, uh, more and more data issues related to the pandemic are thrown up. So the main point is we're seeing many novel privacy issues being thrown up, frankly, by the novel practices being used by employers and engagers broadly to provide a healthy and safe working place for their employees and workers. And when I, when, I, when I use the term employees or workers, I am using them very freely. I'll try to stick to workers. We don't just mean employees here. We mean anyone for whom the engage or, or employer is responsible. So those novel practices are from the use of basic travel questionnaires. Have you been on holiday to a quarantined region? To more intrusive um, health questionnaires. Have you been feeling ill in the last seven days? What are your symptoms? Has anyone in your family been ill? Now, this is the the first era of of, um, novel practices. We haven't seen this kind of questionnaire before. It will be quite alien for certain countries across the world and certain employees to be asked those kind of questions. But then it gets even more novel because we now have things like temperature testing in some countries and temperature testing in all its various guises from asking workers to take a temperature reading at home via a basic mercury thermometer and then not to come in if their temperature is over, I think it's 38.2 or something. But then to far more intrusive techniques, for instance, thermal imaging and cameras potentially combined with a biometric identity feature at a reception. So Deborah, to use your name just if you will permit me you might attend the Yuslaboris reception in Brussels and it would know it was you and it would pick up your temperature was 40 and potentially a big red light would start flashing and you may be sent home so these are very novel things that require new and novel approaches to data and privacy that sounds actually that last one you just described sounds actually very intrusive indeed and i'm wondering in in some countries that's probably not going to be allowed is it yeah that's right this is not Although GDPR across Europe is, of course, supposed to be one size fits all, that is not even the case within Europe, and it's certainly not the case around the world. So the position, just to take the EU as an example, is mixed. In no country is there a blanket acceptance of temperature testing. You have some very pragmatic approaches like the UK Information Commissioner's Office and the Irish Data Protection Commission, who say no prohibition as long as the temperature testing is necessary and proportionate and you comply with other GDPR obligations. But other EU countries, for instance, France, Denmark, Finland, who broadly say absolutely no to temperature testing. And then there are middle ground countries like Italy who have slightly flip flopped over the course of the pandemic. And that's only Europe. I sadly, Deborah, can't talk to every country in the world or every country in the alliance. But you have a different approach in Singapore, a different approach in New Zealand and a different approach in, say, the United States. So as a, as a, a lawyer or, 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 or an HR professional who has responsibility for a wide ranging geographical region, it is quite hard to take a one size fits all for your company. Mm. 
and then further on, there are more novel practices, which are broadly um, further iterations of temperature testing and travel questionnaires and so on. For instance, in some countries, actual COVID testing, again, in all its various guises, PCR testing, and you'll forgive me, I'm not an expert enough in the science to run through all the different COVID testing, but in some countries, COVID testing is being used for workers. I.e., you might go in or and have a, have a quick thirty-minute test, or you are sent a tube at your your home to provide a sample in which you then send off by courier to the testing company. And if you test positive, you don't come in, and so on. But in other countries, there is almost a total prohibition. So again, it's it's a completely novel thing. I mean, we would occasionally be asked to advise in the UK and Ireland and across Europe on drug testing eighteen months ago or three years ago because in the US drug testing for workers is far more common but that was often greeted with um, a sort of cry from lawyers of oh you can't do that that's too intrusive that's too novel so compared to some of the things that we've just discussed you can see how the pandemic has really shifted the idea of practices that are potentially permitted to provide a healthy and safe working place Um, then of course there's contact tracing apps be it a government app or an internal app that a company actually builds itself to ascertain uh, distance and social distancing rules are being followed within a workplace and the government app obviously depends on whether there is a government app sorry to stop you but in the uk the government app has been stopped hasn't it but are there any other countries where it's continuing Yeah, I think it might be inaccurate to say whether the UK government, the app was stopped more than it perhaps didn't even start. Mm. (laughs) Um, Although we are, we are, I think, not too far away from an app being deployed. I think Scotland is deploying one in the next few weeks. So we should see our government app up and running in the next month, one hopes. But yes, there are some countries in in Germany, uh, Austria in the EU. I know Singapore has an app. I know Australia has an app. And yes, they are using them. I must say it's quite hard to get information about the efficacy rates. It's actually very hard to delve in to how many contacts are being made, what impact it is having on, say, the R transmission rate and so on. But I think we're going to talk a little bit later about the potential privacy concerns with apps. But you can see it's just part of this continuum of novel practices. The idea uh, before the pandemic that it might become acceptable for the government to track your movements and track your movements in relation to other people and potentially for your employer to have to have disclosures from you if you are notified by an app that you potentially have been in contact with someone who has COVID before the pandemic really would have been beyond the pale in terms of intrusiveness. But these are the kind of things that an engager or an employer has to consider in terms of apps. And we'll talk about them a little bit later in this discussion. And then, of course, other novel things that we're seeing, I could go on and on, but I'll just raise two more examples. We've seen a few quite strange um, proposed uses of biometrics for lifts. So a use of a facial recognition camera or even an eye recognition, iris recognition technology to take you to your floor for your lift rather than you have to actually press any buttons. Now, we have seen automatic lifts for many years now, but we haven't quite seen that use of biometrics. So that's the data element there. Again, had you asked me this 18 months ago and we were just doing a future scanning piece, I would have suggested that kind of technology would have been scrutinised extremely heavily and probably something that employers maybe didn't want to do. But because we're in the pandemic um, idiom, as it were, we are having to consider these kind of things. And I know we're going to talk about the way employers are looking at them in a moment. Yeah, I mean, so that's all very interesting, actually. It sounds like there's there's loads of um, privacy implications to getting back to work 
post-COVID and really plenty for employers to think about and try and get right. And it also looks like, um, as usual, although we have in Europe an EU-wide legal framework, each country seems to have a slightly different take on things. And so we actually do need to look at the fine detail on a national basis, as you, as you mentioned. So our clients are employers, and it will be helpful, I'm sure, for them to know a little bit about what issues they need to focus on specifically from an HR perspective. So Alex, I wonder if you could give us your top five. Absolutely. And I think later I will talk a, a bit more technically about some of the things one needs to look into from a GDPR compliance perspective when we talk about uh, DPIAs and so on. Um, DPIAs being data protection impact assessments. That's exactly right. So DPIA, data protection impact assessment, yeah. and it's a way of assessing data risk and so on. But we'll, we'll come on to that in a second. Uh, but, but in terms of the top five, and I will keep them simple because I know data and privacy generally can sometimes seem to be a Pandora's box. You open one area, you look too deeply on one of your obligations and 15 other obligations pop up. But from an HR perspective, the first thing to think about when you're putting in place any kind of novel use of technology or a process to try to mitigate the risks in terms of health and safety for employers and workers in your workplace is HR do not operate in isolation. There needs to be coordination with other teams. So that obviously depends on the size of your organization. But if you're a large organization, it's very likely that your data and privacy team are going to be involved in doing the DPIA, assessing the privacy risks. But at the same time, your ops teams are going to be all over the process and all over the management of how people are returning to work and how you're keeping them healthy and safe. At the same time, many companies now have dedicated health and safety teams who are doing health and safety assessments. And so the HR team, who are obviously going to be at the coal face, as it, or, as it were, of any employer or worker complaints, or indeed, to put a more positive spin on that, Deborah, at, at the coal face of trying to be transparent and communicating with employers and workers, really need to understand what the data team thinks, what the ops team thinks, what's the, what the HNS team thinks, to ensure that they've got everything at their fingertips to answer questions in a way that uh, assures employers and workers that this isn't a, an employer or an engager uh, trying to uh, creep in terms of its intrusive surveillance of employers. It truly is doing all this kind of stuff to aid the return to work and to keep everyone safe. So first point, coordination with other teams. The second point is occasionally when we've been discussing with some of our clients who have operations around the world, but mainly in Europe, where there is the collective element, works councils and unions and so on, don't forget the collective position. It can be wonderful to deal, deal with things in isolation. And indeed, if I could, Deborah, I would always deal with things in isolation so that reality never, ever touches them. But of course, if you have to inform and consult with unions, you, you need to remember that, that you're going to have to do that. You might need to get their buy-in to any piece of novel technology or any novel process that you put in place. So don't forget the collective position because it can actually add weeks or months onto any implementation timetable. You might have the ops team saying, right, we're ready to go on Monday. But if you have forgotten, you need to do a three or four week consultation with a works council in X country. It's better to understand that early in the piece so you can plan. And the third point is be transparent, transparent, transparent. You will forgive me, Deborah, for repeating myself for the last three top fives, but transparency is absolutely crucial for a number of reasons. And we'll see when I talk about what you need to do in terms of a DPIA, that transparency is actually an obligation under GDPR. 
and most privacy regimes around the world. So that's one tick, but it's also a way of communicating effectively with your workers. If you are transparent with your workers and you explain with them, explain to them what the process is, why you're doing it, how you are mitigating the impact on their privacy, they are very much more likely to, as we say in the UK, buy into that process and not complain. So it has that duality of being a compliance obligation, but also an employee relations win, as it were. Uh, fourthly, fourth point, proportionality, proportionality, proportionality. And I could equally there say necessity, necessity, necessity. Don't push the boundaries of these novel practices. That will get you in trouble with a regulator and it will annoy workers. So I've given a few examples above, but I'll, I'll, I'll repeat them. We have a camera at Lewis Silk and I'm perfectly happy to say this. It's public. You could come and visit so you could see this. So I'm not revealing anything too secret. You walk in and it's an automatic uh, camera that doesn't recognize me, but it does take my temperature. Now, I think that is well within the bounds of proportionality and necessity, and we can all understand what's happening there. If that camera were to record me Covert, covertly and it were to using biometrics identify me and that was then to link to my security pass and I'm not told about that you could see there might be problems there is that really necessary for the problem you're trying to solve so proportionality 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 goes with necessity and it's absolutely crucial the, 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 the more proportionate that something is and the more you've minimized your intrusiveness on privacy the more likely it's going to be okay from a legal perspective and the more likely it is that a worker is going to accept what you're doing is valid and the final point deborah is security 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 some of these data sets that we are collecting are potentially very sensitive both from a technical perspective and from a layperson's perspective my health information is always something that i would hope my employer would keep absolutely um, sacrosanct in terms of security so password protection encryption limited access and so on and if there was a breach of some of this covered data for, forgive me for picking on you again deborah but if suddenly there was a breach at yesterday's whereby health data of deborah was released it wouldn't only be embarrassing it would have a material impact on you that's not the kind of data you want to be uh, released to a hacker Absolutely. What they would do with it, Deborah, is I don't know, but forgive me, Deborah, but what they do with it, I don't know, but it's just security, security, security is the final point and, and crucial. Well, that's, that's great. I mean, actually, I think that's worth recapping those very quickly because I think they're very useful points for, for, for people. So what you were saying was number one was coordination with other teams. Number two is think about the collective position. Um, number three is be transparent. Number four, proportionality. Number five, security. Not necessarily in that, in that order, in, in, uh, essentially, either, because they're all e of equal importance to get right. Um, so you mentioned um, a, a few minutes ago that um, you were thinking of um, explaining a bit more about these DPIAs, these data protection impact assessments. So um, just so we're all clear, what's the purpose of one of those and what kind of things might you include in one? Yeah, so per, the purpose of a DPIA is, is to show that your processing of any personal data, in this case, obviously, COVID-related data, is compliant. Uh, and as part of that, it's important that employers are aware of and follow, under GDPR, the accountability principles. But these principles about making sure that you're, you are proportionate and necessary in your processing, that you've thought about the privacy impact, are not just unique to GDPR, by the way. I will talk about GDPR here because a data protection impact assessment comes from GDPR. But the idea of accountability and assessing your compliance position in relation to data and privacy and any novel processes you're putting in place as a result of the pandemic is something that is not just limited to GDPR. 
So, for example, um, COVID-19 temperature testing requires potentially the processing of special sensitive data related to health. That is potentially, under GDPR, a high-risk processing, and as a result, a DPIA under Article 35 is required. Even if you don't feel that it is technically required under Article 35, I would recommend doing a DPIA just generally to cover Deborah. I, I don't know, the five things that we've already talked about. If you do a DPIA and an assessment, it will help you understand if you're being transparent, if your processing is proportionate and necess necessary, if you have the appropriate security protocols in place. So before I go into what's in a DPIA, just in summary, very broadly, a DPIA is a, is a process designed to help you systematically analyse, identify and minimise the data protection risks of a project or a plan. And it, and it does this by taking a company through, and there are many templates uh, for this. The ICO has a wonderful one. The French regulator, the CNIL, has a very good one in French and English. But all the regulators broadly have one. And they broadly just run through what are we doing and why are we doing it? What are the privacy concerns? What are the privacy risks? What are our obligations? And then coming to a broad conclusion, we need to do this for a valid reason. We've actually considered other less privacy intrusive mechanisms to do this, but we think this is what we need to do. We are going to or have already told people about this. We have ensured that we have a lawful basis we have ensured that we've thought about all the ancillary parts of GDPR. We only keep data for as long as necessary. Any third party who is involved in the processing has had adequate due diligence done on them. And, and finally, we, are, we have made sure that our security, security, security position is absolutely top notch. Therefore, this is approved. Now, this does a couple of things. It doesn't eradicate all risk. I'm never going to say that. But what it does do is help an employer minimise and determine whether or not the level of risk is acceptable. And then, of course... In a worst case scenario, were a regulator to look at this or were a data subject to complain, you wouldn't be on the back foot. You would say, look, we recognise your complaint, but we did think about this. Have a look at our DPIA. We thought about this and decided this. We thought about this and we decided this. So not only is it a useful compliance tool, but it can be a really good, I, I don't know, defensive shield in the event of any complaint. It also sounds, Alex, as if it might be something that helps employers get everything straight in their minds, you know, so it's not just a bureaucratic thing that they have to do, but it actually helps break down all the problems into little bite-sized um, aspects that they can think about um, and, and help people get everything straight. That's hopefully what it would do anyway. Um, if we could move away from the office itself for a moment and think about the wider environment, about how each country can control this virus. And um, we hear a lot about tracking and tracing and using apps as a way of moving away from full lockdown and controlling second waves of infection etc. Um, now we talked a little earlier on about um, the UK government sort of delaying their government app um, a little while ago but that's not the case in, in some other places as we um, discussed um, but it seems to me that the challenge of these apps is not purely technical to sort of make them work but people really do need to have confidence in how their personal data will be protected otherwise they're simply not going to download them and, and they won't be um, usable workable as a, as a strategy so Alex how do you think privacy needs to be dealt with when developing a public um, COVID-19 tracing app? Yeah, and look, that is a that is a very wide question, and it is certainly outside the workplace, and, and not something necessarily an employment lawyer or general counsel or, or or an HR professional would need to consider. Just one point before I go on to the concerns that the, the privacy things that we need to consider. Obviously, if we as an employer are very much asking our employers, employees, and our workers to use an app, 
it is relevant if the app it has not been designed with privacy in mind. We'd be asking them to use something that is actually potentially very intrusive and dangerous to them. The first point is most governments that are designing their apps, certainly in Europe, are conducting DPIAs. So it's a nice little segue. We've gone on from DPIAs generally that work at employers have to do to governments have to do it as well. Uh, when the UK government is currently in the process of hopefully finalising its app, it will have done many DPIAs to ensure that privacy is at the forefront of uh, its design. In fact, uh, um, the GDPR demands that privacy by design and privacy by default are the key fundamentals of designing any new technology, i.e. privacy should be not just a, the 17th thing you think about, it should be one of the top two or three things that you think about, along with efficacy, obviously, and cost. So just as an, an analogy, Deborah, recently the South Wales police, so Wales being a region in the UK, got criticised for their use of automatic facial recognition technology, which they were deploying at various uh, public gatherings to try to spot um, criminals and so on. They, they got criticised for one or two reasons, but most fundamentally, they got criticised for their failure in terms of their DPIA. I, they had not done a proper DPIA to check that the automatic facial recognition technology was necessary, proportionate and so on. So the first thing that, that um, these governments need to do is obviously complete their DPIA, and that is a live DPIA. Technology changes all the time, so it's an evergreen DVA, DPIA, as we say in the privacy world. So they have to do ongoing due diligence to ensure that their app complies with privacy rules. And then, of course, as part of that DPIA, they need to ascertain what is their legal basis for processing my personal data when I um, download the app and use it. They need to be absolutely crystal clear. And this is one of my big worries about who is responsible for compliance. Because as a citizen, and certainly we're seeing now the emergence through the pandemic of big government, which some of us um, may want, some of us may not want, but we're certainly seeing enormous money being spent, huge government intrusion on our lives. And if there is an app and we have, want to make a complaint about it, we want to know who we can complain to. We want to know which government department is responsible for our data because that will give us comfort that the app has been designed properly. And then the rest of the DPIA will just broadly cover on a much greater level than we as employers look at when we're looking at our testing, but all the things we've already talked about before, for instance, security, absolutely crucial. You know, I don't want to speak ill of any country, but we read in the papers that certain countries do potentially engage in government-sponsored hacking. So I could see that a, a vulnerable government app in Germany or the UK or France would be a target for a hack. So we want to ensure that our governments have thought about the security in relation to that. Um, COVID-19 tracking apps. Then of course data minimization and purpose limitation is absolutely crucial. Privacy activists across Europe are always worried about this from any governmental action that involves personal data but they have written extensively about this in terms of the contact tracing app. We don't want a creep on the use of the data so by that I mean I'm perf I am personally and this is only my personal view i'm personally happy perf per perfectly happy to participate in a covid 19 tracing app when it comes out in the uk um, i have no problem understand the purpose that if i've been in contact with someone i want to know and then i should quarantine but i do have a problem if that data is then used for other reasons if you understand what i mean that's the worry of privacy activists and it's a strange thing that we do see that in certain countries around the world some apps are potentially working better than others for instance singapore and south korea but what is not reported there is that those apps are being used in conjunction with really quite high levels of surveillance. So it's not just the contact tracing app, it's then following your credit card data and following your geolocation data to make sure you're actually following your quarantine and so on.
So there is this dichotomy between in Europe, we're obviously very keen on our privacy rights and we recognise there's probably a limit where a government can't go past. Whereas in other countries, there might be a different limit there. So, so I think a DPIA would allow the government to get to that position where the use of data is proportionate, minimised and the limit, the purposes are as limited as far as possible. And hopefully then a transparency, a transparency uh, project, both in terms of communications via adverts plus formal transparency notices with the app would help us as, as citizens and users of the app get comfortable with that that the app actually works and all the privacy considerations have been considered and then one final point Deborah that would then allow potentially us as employers to encourage our employees and workers to use that there then are various other problems the ICO has been clear and the European Data Protection Board have been clear that the use of any app must be voluntary <laughs> So you get into employment issues there that I recognise as an employer, I would want to force my employee to use the app. But if the government has said it must be voluntary, you do you can see there's a contradiction there. But that's perhaps for another day to look at that. But that, they're probably the main issues with um, developing a public COVID-19. Well, that, that's really fascinating, Alex. Thank you very much for that. Thank you for your great and insightful comments. They're very much appreciated. Thanks very much, Deborah. I really enjoyed it. That's it for this episode of Talking Work. But we'll be back very soon with more insights from our guests from around the world. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. You can also visit usaboris.com to access all our content, resources and tools.